Navigating the gig economy in 2021 sucks. No one pays a decent wage. You basically pay to work when you figure in the need to have your own tools. And what is touted as a millennial solution to the nine to five grind is actually a full-time hustle just to be broke. Ani Bojo, Anger Squad, and welcome to the second episode of the Angry Indian Girl Radio Podcast, or Anger for short. I'm your host, Sophia Syntax. You may remember me from such productions as I Was Told There Would Be Fry Bread and Dubois Anini with Satori Circus and Luscious Limone. We're recording on Sunday, January 31st, 2021. On today's episode, I will be complaining about my cool job, dissecting the gig economy, and encouraging us all to aggressively unionize and seize the means of production in 2021. Make sure you hit subscribe so you're the first to know when new episodes drop. Time to tune out the noise and tune in to figure out the actual reason we all hate Mondays. Grab your headphones and your favorite beverage and let's dive in. One of my favorite content creators, Kate Nix, tweeted recently about her desire to start a podcast, one that she's had on the back burner since 2019. Well, first off, way to go, Kate. Obviously super behind anybody that wants to get into podcasting. I think it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but Kate Nix is no stranger to hard work. She's a musician, performer, teacher, fairy, trash goblin. (laughs) This is a person who wears many hats. You can follow her on all the things or watch her on her Twitch TV show, The Lullaby Lounge. You can find that at twitch.tv slash Kate Nix. That's all one word, K-A-T-E-N-Y-X. Kate is hella talented and honestly one of the most undeservedly underrated performers I have ever encountered. I have no idea why this chick hasn't blown up yet. Her music makes me feel things, y'all. That is no small feat. (laughs) This is not a paid promotion for Kate Nix as much as she deserves that. I bring this up to say that she got me thinking about this idea of complaining about my cool job because I have, I would say, you know, I'm an artist, right? That's a cool job. Wow. How many of us as kids wanted to grow to be artists. Yeah. I want to welcome you all to episode two of the Anger Podcast, Capitalism Can Wait. (laughs) Complaining about my cool job. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, there is actually no official definition of the gig economy, or for that matter, a gig. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm using gig to describe a single project or task for which a worker is hired, often through a digital marketplace to work on demand. This worker is not unionized and often lacks protections that quote-unquote official hired employees would have when working in the same capacity. Again, this is my definition because there is no official definition for all of these people who are working in this quote-unquote gig economy. Some gigs are a short-term job and some workers pursue gigs as a self-employment option. However, companies connecting workers with these jobs through websites or mobile applications, more commonly known as apps, is a more recent development. Another lie that capitalism feeds us is this idea of entrepreneurship. I, for one, don't want to be an entrepreneur. I want to work in the safety of a giant company that has resources far beyond me that is going to take care of me into my old age with a good pension program. I want socialized work. How can I even complain about my cool job if I don't know who my fellow workers are. For people like me, independent contractors, artists, performers, you know, there isn't a union. There isn't always a way for us to meet. Now my boss is just an app. I work for the Uber app. It's weird. You never see your coworkers. You don't even know who you work with. So how can you organize and try and get a better deal if you don't even know who your coworker is? This is my homework assignment. If you still have a job, 
lucky, lucky you. Just start talking to your coworkers. You don't have to join a union. I watched an excellent episode of Superstore. Okay, this has been my guilty pleasure. I don't know why I like it so much. It's so cute and yet so subversive. There is an episode where the company is trying to tell the employees how to vote, which obviously is super illegal, but doesn't seem to be stopping the company. The employees, some of them don't know better. The episode is about what the other employees, how they, they just work together. They organize and they work together to try and get a better representative elected that's going to vote more in line with their interests and I think that's really cool and something that we need to do. Something I'd like to ask my white friends to do is to tell us how much you make. If you work in an office with a person of color, share your salary. It's a small thing, it's a radical thing, but it's a start. Get to know your fellow worker, get to know your coworkers. You don't have to be best friends with them, but like show some radical empathy. Show some tactical empathy for cry eye because what benefits your fellow worker is going to benefit you. This episode is not going to get into the history of why unions are not a thing anymore in the United States. For more information on the history of unions in America, I recommend the Turn Leftist podcast, specifically episode 18, Let's Talk Unions and the IWW. The IWW, of course, being the industrial workers of the world. Most of us, I assume, we are not part of a union. I grew up in Flint, Michigan, home of the UAW, United Auto Workers, white shirt strike. My family members were in unions. Unions are important to me. I'm not part of a union because I've never had the opportunity I've literally never been able to join a union because no job I've ever had has been open to me. I am, even when I worked at the university, I've worked at a variety of universities, a couple medical schools. I've always been there as a part-time contractual worker, which is this really nefarious scheme that corporations, and yes, I am including universities as a corporation, that workplaces, I guess maybe that's a friendlier parlance, employers use this independent contractor position so that they don't have to give workers benefits. Workers can't unionize they can't collectively bargain so we're always at the disadvantage how many of you work multiple jobs just to be broke yes my hand is absolutely raised there was a time in my life when i worked four different jobs none of them offered me health care None of them made me a permanent employee and none of them helped me get ahead. But they were all necessary at that time for me to survive. I was bartending at night. I was working a nine to five gig in an office as a part-time contract worker. And it was a good job. I enjoyed that job. However, there was no room for growth. I had no protections. I was doing the same job as the person at the desk next to me. But that person was a unionized employee. They had healthcare, dental, optometry. I had none of that. And I thought it was a good job because I was making $4 over the minimum wage at the time, which then they raised the minimum wage. So then I wasn't even making that much and it started to look like not such a good job anymore. Fortunately, I haven't been brainwashed by capitalism enough to think that that is the fault of the people who wanted an increased minimum wage. I blame my employer, I blame the university, because they should have been paying me a livable wage from the get-go. They were certainly collecting enough fees from their students, they could have been paying us more. I'm seeing a really 
strange and sad thing that I want to come here and talk about with my friends that have small businesses, particularly people that make products. I have a good friend who makes jewelry and I have another good friend that makes clothing and I have another good friend who makes ceramics. I have lots of good friends. I'm lucky that way. A lot of really creative folk, but I know that they are struggling, especially around Christmas. I was seeing lots of posts about, oh, I'm so grateful for the work, but I'm so exhausted. We're working around the clock and I know that there's some people, myself included, who might be unemployed, underemployed, whatever, you know, we're all struggling financially and we might look at a small business in this moment and be like, wow, what a great problem to have. Too much work. I'm making too much money. I can't even keep up. Blah, blah, blah. Without looking at the broader worldview of one, how messed up capitalism is and the fact that two, we are people, not machines. It's not natural for a human being to do repetitive movements to make clothes or jewelry or plushy bats or whatever for over 15 hours a day on minimal sleep, no social contact, and probably a crap diet. I'm an artist and I think that being an artist is a pretty cool job. Unfortunately, it's not valued by society, which especially during this pandemic feels really, 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 really weird to say because what are we all doing while we're stuck at home? We're watching TV, we're watching movies, we're reading books, we're consuming media, all things that are made by creatives. And if this pandemic showed us nothing else, I think it really brought to light how important creative pursuits are. And it anchors me that sports teams are able to go on in their bubble, fully funded, but arts, operas, theaters, museums are having to make these tough calls about what's going to continue. We can clearly see which of the two brings more value. Not to say that sports aren't important because obviously they are, but perhaps not to the extent that they are shown that respect in terms of financial backing. Okay, that's the T. As a working artist, I don't think it's unreasonable that I should be paid a fair wage for my art. And I dislike that these companies, these apps, these gig economies, what have you, have, I don't want to use the word prostituted because I feel like that's an affront to my sex worker allies, but have, I guess, devalued, devalued the arts works in such a way. And, you know, actually, since I, since I brought it up, let's take a moment to talk about our sex workers because I'm really tired, real, real, real tired of that work being undervalued or criminalized. Stop policing women's bodies. Sex work is work. It is valid. You cannot be a feminist and be anti-sex worker. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. You can't be a radical and be anti-sex worker. Swerfs and turfs need not apply here. Don't at me. Instagram recently made changes that were very anti-sex worker, which is while I am still on the platform, while I'm slowly been moving away from it. I tried to get on Mastodon, but my God, the learning curve for that particular platform. <laughs> It is tough. I am still trying to figure it out because I think there is value. I stand by what I said. I think there's value in Mastodon. I think there's value in these peer-to-peer connection forms that aren't owned by third parties that want to sell our data. But I've only got so many spoons and so much energy during a pandemic. And getting this podcast out week after week or every other week as the case may be is taking a big one. So I'm sorry, Mastodon. Maybe next quarter. Maybe that'll be your time. I want to remind all of my artist friends, 
This is not a residency. We are existing in a global pandemic. Our government is not supporting us in the way that they should be. We are being called on to give mutual aid in the places where it hurts the most. And while that is worthwhile and radical and deserving of our attention, sometimes we need to turn inwards because you can't pour from an empty cup. We got to take care of ourselves so that we can be there to take care of our communities. Maybe you're collecting unemployment and you have more quote unquote free time, but you're still struggling with inspiration. I get it. It confuses me too. But like, this is not a vacation. We are seeing mass death and despair all around us. These are not peak conditions for creativity, fam. We're isolated. We crave touch. We're being overly exposed to screens. This is abuse. As artists living under neoliberal capitalism, we become used to abuse. This idea that we need to always be hustling, constantly making content. Most of this content that we're consuming isn't very good. None of this is gonna end up in the Louvre. We are not living in a renaissance time. This is not a utopia. This is not a glorious time when we are all in our homes by choice and able to just lay out in the sun and create our best works. That's not what's happening here. This is a global pandemic. Pandemic. And if you're working from home, I imagine you have even a little bit of survivor skill. Like, oh my gosh, you know, there's so many small businesses and there's so many artists that don't have work right now. I shouldn't be complaining about my workload. I can't, I can't take a nap. I can't rest. No, forget that. That's capitalism talking. And we are not our productivity. Let me repeat that. We are so much more than what we can produce. Capitalism can wait. Put down the cabochons. Put down the knitting needles, put down the iPad pencil, put down your artist brushes and rest because the world needs you. I need you. We need you to be part of this fight to create the world that we want to live in. So take a nap, drink some water, and let's get ready for the Anishinaabe Mauen word of the week. Yeah, anger fam, you like how I did that sec? I got all like real serious with you and then I made it fun. This week's word is Nietzsche, which means friend. Nietzsche, Nietzsche. If you're here, you're a Nietzsche. Rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and pushes back against capitalism and white supremacy. That's a quote from the Knapp Ministry, whose work I'd like to highlight in this week's spotlight. The Knapp Ministry was founded in 2016 by Trisha Hersey and is an organization that examines the liberating power of naps. They're really active on social media because they view their pages as one of many tools to deprogram the masses from grind culture. I had never thought of rest as being a radical thing. But once I really sat and sort of deprogrammed some of the ideas that I've been fed about work and culture and my self-worth, like let's be real, okay? I grew up in a family where rest was viewed as something not for us. Like if you were resting, why are you taking a nap in the middle of the day? You're being lazy. You should be being productive. That is not my value. That is capitalism talking. And I think if you take a moment to sit down with some of this material, some of these ideas, even if you don't go to the NAP ministry, just take a minute and think about and sort of unpack these ideas that we have in our head about rest and what that means in terms of our self-worth. Because remember, you are more than what you produce. Capitalism can wait. That order can wait. None of this stuff is life or death. Your body, your mental health, your spirituality, that is what is really important. Nietzsche's, my friends, I encourage you to rest this week. 
Do something radical for yourself. You deserve it. Once again, Teen Vogue coming correct. They did an awesome article on self-care and the origins of self-care within the Black Panther movement. What? Yeah, let me say that again. So the idea of self-care actually originated with the Black Panther movement. If you look at social media, it's easy to think self-care is like candles, bubble baths, and yoga pants, mainly accessible to well-off young people in expensive urban areas and the suburbs. However, the origins of today's self-care industry are actually embedded in the Black Power movement in the 1960s and 70s in underserved communities across the country. So in the 1950s, the medical community latched onto the term self-care before the Black Panther Party popularized and politicized it in the United States during the height of the civil rights movement. Holistic needs of Black communities and Black activists have always been a part of community organizers' tactics. Yet again, we have queer Black women to thank for this idea. Activist and artist Audre Lorde's teachings highlight how self-preservation is foundational for community building. As a lot of younger people have been thrust into social activism this year, it's really important that we do what's needed to protect our mental health during this tumultuous time. All right, Nietzsche's, before I jump into my final thoughts, I want to hear what you love most about the Anger Podcast. Simply find the show on Apple, scroll down, and tap write a review. We value your thoughts and opinions. You can also connect with the show on social media, including Twitter and Instagram, by following at A-N-G-R Podcast. T-L-D-R. Time for my final thoughts. In this episode, we discuss the gig economy, complained about our cool jobs, and revisited the need for mass unionization in America. We learned about the radical nature of rest and gained some resources for how to integrate it into our daily lives. Please take what you learn in this show, take it out into the world, and spread it around. That's how we keep these movements alive. Visit patreon.com slash Syntax S-O-F-I-A-S-Y-N-T-A-X-X, to become one of our supporters. Miigwech for tuning in to the Anger Podcast. Meet you, we. That's all. Bye.